Good morning. <laughs> it's good to be with you guys today. I'm excited to look at the Gospel of John with you, and your pastor has done me no favors this morning. I love Ernie, and I love his no favorness. Okay. I have to be smarter than this thing. Thank you, my servant, Ernie. Is that good? Okay. Tell me. Oh, you're the man. Thank you. So last week he gets to preach on abiding in Christ. This week I get, I hate you. You'll be persecuted. It's not the funnest text of Scripture. Jesus said, hey, I have an announcement for you. I was perfect. Never did anything wrong. Only ever loved everyone perfectly. And they hated me. In fact, they tortured me. They beat me. They spit on me. They mocked me. They murdered me. And heads up. They're going to hate you too. Not the best motivational speech ever given from a leader, right? I was perfect and I died for it. And so the world that hated me is going to hate you as well. Well, Ernie said I'd give a little update on the network before I get into this message, but that's where we're going to go. So just so you know, it is true that we have now 30 churches in our network and uh, 16 different states, 31 salt companies. Uh, this weekend, we'll probably have about 20,000 worshipers worshiping in Salt Network churches. And midweek, in all of the campuses where we're at, probably have around 10,000 college students that meet every week in Salt Companies. So 2024, guess where we're going to take another state? We're going to go to Las Vegas, Nevada, UNLV. So the name of the church is Sin City Church. Um, no, that's not right. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that would be great, wouldn't it? Now, the name of the church is King City Church, and we're really excited to plant a church there. We're also going to be planting at Mankato, Minnesota, which is Minnesota State, in 2024. Then in 2025, we're going to go Knoxville, Tennessee, Denton, Texas, DeKalb, Illinois, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, Tempe, Arizona, and two more undisclosed uh, places at this point. So that's pretty exciting. We'll be up to 40 churches at the end of 2025, the Lord willing. So, and who knows when this church will plant its first church. Because I don't know if you guys know this, we're not winning yet. Not even close. In fact, Christianity is declining on two, in two continents, two countries especially, ours and Europe. Places where it was once prominent is a place that's dying and declining, and we need to stay in the game. We need to make sure that we stand for what matters because there's still lost people in your city, and there are a lot more people out there that are in here, and they need this message, the message of the gospel. As I said, people ask me all the time, being the network director, what's your favorite church? Today, it's Mercy Hill. Yeah. What's your favorite church name? And we have a lot of different church names. Uh, some I actually don't like. 
Mercy Hill's not one of them. In fact, I love the name of this church because the idea of mercy, we can cry out to God, mercy, even in our most desperate moments, even in our times of greatest need. And guess what he is eager to do for us? He is eager to show us mercy. David, whose heart was for God, who knew God maybe better than any other man in the Old Testament, when he was at his weakest moment after he had done God-awful sins, what was the first thing that he said to God in Psalm 51? Have mercy on me, O God. And that's because he knew God. And he knew God was eager to give out his mercy. So I love Mercy Hill. And I love it that you're going through the Gospel of John. I love it that you're going through this section in the Gospel of John. Man, you got to go through John chapter 13 where Jesus is washing the disciples' feet. And John chapter 14 where he's talking about the Holy Spirit. And then John chapter 15, abiding in Christ. You're going to get to John chapter 16, which is more of the Holy Spirit. And then John chapter 17, Jesus' priestly prayer. And then John... But in the middle of all of these great things, you have these words that Ernie assigned me today. <laughs> Thoughtful leadership from your lead pastor. And I love him. And I believe that he, more than any other pastor in our network, and I'm going to say that to you, but don't spread it to everybody else, even though it's true and this will be recorded, embodies maybe this quality that Jesus is calling all of us to have as followers of him. The Bible word, the quality that Jesus is talking about here is the quality of perseverance. And maybe a more common word would be the idea of grit. Because if you're going to follow Jesus, it's going to be an upstream swim. It's going to be an uphill battle. Because this world is antagonistic to the things of God. And in fact, Jesus would tell us that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And I love this about your pastor. He perseveres, he has grit, and he's a fighter. And that's the kind of man you need when you want to be a church planter. I not only read the Bible, but there's a secular psychologist. She's not a believer. Her name is Angela Duckworth. That's a terrible last name, I think. But she's written a book on grit. And listen to what she says. It's called Grit, the Power of Passion and Perseverance. And here's what she says. Grit is a higher determiner of success than intelligence or education or wealth or personality or physical ability. It's the combination of passion, that thing that you really love, and perseverance, your ability to stick to it. And this morning, Jesus is going to be calling us to be gritty Christians. When things are against you, when things are hard, do you persevere? Here's the main message of today's text. If you follow Jesus, the world's going to hate you. The world's going to persecute you. Is that motivating? No. What do you hate? I, I went to the Google machine and looked up what Americans hate, and I've discovered that they can't narrow it down to a top ten. We hate a lot of stuff, and so I just decided to do my own things that I hate. See if you can identify with these. Number five. 
I hate how hard it is to delete pop-up ads, to find that X, my fingers are too fat, or to find the unsubscribe button on junk email that I never subscribed to. I hate that. I hate slow drivers in the fast lane. Terrible, especially if it's a semi in the slow lane or the fast lane going slow with another semi in the other lane going slow and they back up the traffic and if I was in the city, like I know you guys are, I would be angry almost every time I went driving except for Sunday morning, no traffic. Good time to come to church and don't be angry when you're... I hate that, don't you? I hate that Fox and CNN call themselves news. I hate that. You know, news is supposed to give me two sides of something and give me actual information, not try to lead me down a path like I'm some goat on a rope. I hate that. Can't stand it. I hate cats. Actually, actually, I used to say that. I can't say that anymore because we have one. Um, I love my son, and so he loved a cat, so we got him a cat. So now I can't say any longer that we hate cats. In fact, this cat jumps up from the ground into my arms and crawls on my shoulder and purrs while I pet it. And what I really hate is cat hair, shedding cats, and all cats shed. I mean... I, I, I want to inv somebody invent something that will eliminate shedding pets. Terrible, terrible. If you come to my house, I'll be panicked that you'll get cat hair on your clothes. And I had to examine my... I hate that. But number one for me, here's what it is. Geese. <laughs> they don't migrate anymore. They poop like dogs, and you can't get rid of them, especially in-town geese. I think there should be a moratorium on geese. I think all of us for a day should get to slaughter all the geese on earth because they will come back. They will come back. Now, if that makes you angry at me, I just shared a little bit of the evil in my heart toward these things that I hate. Maybe you have your own list. But what if you, as a Christian, were the most hated thing on someone's list in the world? And you know, for many Christians, they live in this reality that Jesus spoke every day of their life. And my question to those of us who are American Christians who often are not hated and definitely not persecuted, I wonder if we still would be following Christ if that was true of us. In our country, we're blessed to not be under persecution that most Christians endure around the world. For the most of us, we've only ever been maybe rejected a little bit because of Jesus. Or maybe rejected by our family, or our friends, or teased just a little bit. But there's no hostile violence toward us all the time. But that's not the case in the world. You know, Jesus was trying to prepare his disciples this final time for the reality that would be theirs. Because we know all of the disciples didn't die wealthy, popular, and loved. 
In fact, all but John died a martyr's death in a world that hated them and persecuted them for their entire life. And even John was boiled and survived. This was one of the common things that Jesus tried to teach his disciples, and they were so obtuse they never got it. I love the disciples, don't you, Ernie? (laughs) It's like every time I think, what are they thinking? I think, what am I thinking? Because I can identify with them. You remember when Jesus asked the disciples, who do men say that I am? And Peter got it right for the first time in his life, and he said, you're the Christ. You're the Messiah. And Jesus said, wow, Peter, you got it right. And then right after that, what did Jesus say? He said, now, fellas, you need to know, I'm going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to suffer. I'm going to die. I'm going to be crucified. And then on the third day, I'm going to be resurrected. And it says that Peter took Jesus aside and rebuked him. (laughs) It's not a good idea to rebuke God. And he got a rebuke as well. And he said, Peter, get behind me, Satan. Because you're not thinking God thoughts. You're only thinking about yourself. And I wonder how many of us, when we come to God, we're not thinking God thoughts. We're just thinking about ourselves. That's antagonistic to what the gospel brings. And then once again, in Mark chapter 9, remember the disciples, Jesus was telling them, and he actually pulled them aside in Mark chapter 9 to explain to them that he's going to Jerusalem to suffer and die. Because that's why he came, to die for our sins. And you know what happened immediately after that? Imagine when someone you love or a leader in your life says that they are going to die. What's the next conversation that you're going to have? Well, here's the next conversation the disciples had. They wondered and they fought about which one of them was the greatest. Can you imagine hanging out with the goat? I mean, this is God, right? (laughs) And then your greatest argument is which one in this room is the greatest? And then even in Mark chapter 10, this is the best one. Once again, Jesus is telling him he's going to go to Jerusalem. He's going to suffer. He's going to die. He's going to be murdered on a cross. But he said he's going to rise again. You would think that if your leader is saying this for the third time, maybe at this time you'd be less obtuse and you would get it. But what happens immediately after that in Mark chapter 10? James and John, they go to Jesus, and here's what they say. Hey, Jesus, I have an idea. Why don't you do whatever we want you to do for us? It's the next thing. And I wonder if sometimes my prayers are like that. Hey, God, here I am. Now I need you to do something for me. Peter didn't get it. The disciples didn't get it. In fact, they argued about who was the greatest. And even James and John got their mother in on this deal. Because they thought in Jesus' kingdom, in this world, he would be king. And they wanted to be his second and third in command. And I think so many of us miss the real clear teaching of Jesus because we're so caught up in our own ideas of what God will do for us rather than to see God as God and see ourselves as people made in his image who need to do for him, not him to do for us. And in these holy moments, Jesus is trying to prepare his disciples again 
And if you ask me, ask me. It's not the best motivational speech, is it? Huh? Hey, hey, fellas. If the world hates you, understand that it hated me before you. If the world, if you were of the world, it would love you. However, you're not of the world because I've chosen you out of the world. And the world hates you. I don't think Jesus was the best motivational speaker anyway, do you? I mean, great teacher. They were unbelievably overwhelmed with the authority in which he taught and the insight in which he gave. But here's what he told his disciples when he sent them out in his ministry. Um, you guys, by the way, know why you start your service at 10.02? It's because of Luke 10.2. That's the theme verse, you know. When Jesus said, see the fields are white unto harvest, Luke 10 to pray the Lord of harvest that he would send out laborers. Well, whenever you begin to pray that prayer, God will convict you to do that thing, right? And so here's what Jesus says to his disciples. He said, I'm sending you out as sheep among wolves. Now, let me illustrate this in sounds. Bad. Right? And I, I know wildlife, and I, I love it. I'd have put my hand in the air at that moment. If I'm Disciple Troy with Jesus, I'd say, it's good speech and all, but I think you missed it. I think what you meant to say is you're sending us out as wolves among sheep. Right? You guys follow mascots. Uh, whatever this school is, they're the they're the bulldogs, right? See that mean old bulldog? He's got a chain around his head. He's going to eat you up. Right? We have a mascot that ducks. I don't even know how they came at that, right? But we don't have any mascots, the lambs, the little lambs. But we have a lot of mascots, the wolves. And what Jesus is saying here is he's saying, I'm sending you out as lambs among wolves because this world will eat you up. It will destroy you. It will hate you. It will persecute you. And what do I want you to be? I want you to be like I am. Because didn't John say about him, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And then skip down to John chapter 16, because we need to know why Jesus has given them this anti-motivational speech. <laughs> he said, I told you these things to keep you from stumbling. In other words, I've told you these things so that you would persevere. I've told you these things so that you will have grit. I, I made that up. That's, it's, it's what he's saying. Trust me. I'm setting your expectations no, look what it says. Know that they will ban you from the synagogues. In fact, a time is coming when anyone who kills you will think he's offering a service to God. Mercy Hill Church, that's not your reality. What's your example of being hated? What's your example of being persecuted? What's your example of Someone threatening you with your life this morning. Are
Are you aware that last Christmas, 200 Christians were murdered in Nigeria by Fulani Muslims in 26 different villages, and they did so in the name of God? And they thought they were doing a service to God. Imagine you're having a service, Christmas service. And all of you are murdered. Why? Because you claim Jesus is who he says he is. North Korea, according to the Open Doors, and this is a great website, Open Doors, enable world watch list. This is 2024. It says, North Korea is the most dangerous place in the world for Christians. Being discovered as a follower of Jesus is effectively a death sentence. Number two is Somalia. Number three is uh, Libya. With 13 countries listed in our world as extremely violent toward anybody who names the name of Christ. You get down to uh, number 15, Algeria, and it's gone up in the world list because there is an increase in persecutions. Last year, there were 30, 47 Protestant churches in the country. This year, only four remain, and they are under intense pressure. 10,000 churches closed in China last year, which is number 19 on the list. Most of those were house churches, but the official churches that the government allows are under intense pressure. There's new regulations, and they have to display signs that says, love the Communist Party, love the country, love the religion. And it's getting harder and harder to be a Christian in China. In 2023, almost 5,000 Christians were martyred for their faith. That's 13 Christians a day. That means... That while we're gathering today, someone else will lose their faith because they say, I am a follower of Jesus. Last year, almost 15,000 churches and Christian properties were attacked. The number of attacks on churches and Christian-run schools, hospitals, and seminaries exploded in 2023, seven times as many as the previous year. And it's driven by the closures in China, attacks in Nigeria and Nicaragua and Ethiopia. Almost 300,000 Christians have been displaced from their homes in 2023. Not to mention the war in Ukraine and all the Christians that have been displaced because of Russia there. And by the way, guess what? In Ukraine, Christianity is continuing to explode. It's estimated that 365 million Christians are under attack and persecution in our world today. 365 million. You know how many people live in our country? Less than that. So what's our response? See, these words that Jesus spoke are really true. It's just not our reality. So what should it do to us? Shouldn't it cause us to fall on our knees and pray for our brothers and sisters around the world who are enduring unbelievable hatred and persecution and pain? Shouldn't we be aware of this? Shouldn't our prayers be to cry out to God rather than do what I want you to do? God, please have mercy on your children who are being slaughtered for the name of Christ. And what you need to know, guys, is this is coming to our country as well. The further and further we get away from 
the foundations that are laid in this country, the more common it's going to be for us to endure persecution for the name of Christ as well. Are you ready for it? Are you prepared for it? Will you persevere where you have the grit to swim upstream? A recent church plant in Syracuse, New York. Are you familiar? So Syracuse, New York, by the way, the university was established by the Methodists to train missionaries to be sent overseas for the Methodist denomination. Okay, it's the only place that we are currently at where they forbid Salt Company from being an organization on campus. And in fact, they won't let our staff go onto campus or have any meetings on any of their property and they have run us off. This is this country. Oh, by the way, did you know that there are other schools that started with good intent? Harvard, Yale, Princeton. You know what they started as? Seminaries to train pastors for churches in our country. The gospel's not glorious in those places anymore. University of Indiana, where we have a church, one of the most liberal cities in all of Indiana that is persecuting us at some level, also started as a seminary. What about Gainesville University, University of Florida, also first seminary, where they used to train men and women to be champions for the gospel of God. And now in those same institutions, they're resistant, persecuting and hating and pushing away. And what they're elevating are godless activities. Listen to what Jesus said. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. For the kingdom of heaven is theirs. You are blessed when people insult you and persecute you and say all kinds of things falsely against you because of me. Be glad and rejoice. Get yourself happy. This is what Jesus is saying. Because your reward is great in heaven. For that is how they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You know what that is? That's Matthew 5, 10, 11, and 12. And Timmy, what's Matthew 5, 13? You know that you are the salt of the earth from which we get our name, Salt Company. What's right before? Get really happy when people resist you and persecute you and hate you and say all kinds of evil things against you falsely on account of me because you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. The world's going to hate you. So let's look what Jesus said about it. I love this. Three, Three points and then we'll We'll be done. I know the women are tired, so no such thing as a bad short sermon, right? Got enough Bible teaching this weekend to last you for a lifetime anyway, you know. It's like, so here's what Jesus says. <laughs> he said, uh, first thing you need to know, if the world hates you, no, it, it's not you, it's him. You ever go through a breakup? <laughs> and they say, oh, it's not you, it's the, right? You're great. You're awesome. It's not you. It's me. Here's what you need to know. It's you. Right? They don't want to marry you. They don't want to be with you. Right? There's something wrong with you in their opinion. They think they've got better options. It's always a lie. 
always, oh, you're just too good for me, right? This is, don't kid yourself. Don't even try to make you feel better emotionally. It's you. There's something. If you want to stay in and they want out, it's because of you. Okay? Just, just spouting truth. But what Jesus said is, guess what? It's not you. It's me. If the world hates you, it's me. They act that way toward you because of me. And here's the first thing I would say to you, Mercy Hill Church. Please, please let that be true. You familiar with this Bozo group, Westboro Baptist? Oh, they're the ones who get the signs. God hates. Those are the ones who go and protest. In fact, Cornerstone Church, when we first started, they realized our stance on, on loving all peoples. <laughs> And preaching the word of God. And they found out that we allowed people who were homosexual to attend our services. Guess what they did? They protested with their giant signs in front of our services. So many times when you get persecuted in this world, it's, it's not because of Jesus, it's because of you. It's because of your obtuse or your lack of love or your higher horse that you're riding where you look down on the people who are broken and hurting and suffering. And I'm telling you, Jesus loves broken people, all kinds of broken people. And this place should be a hospital to welcome all kinds of broken people. And we won't celebrate their sin, but we will rescue the sinner. And if the world hates you, don't let it be because you're sitting on some high horse in judgment of people who are sinners because in your heart, you're just as sinful as they are. You know what I thank God for? I thank God that I don't struggle with homosexuality because it's the one sin that I can say. Wow, finally, there's a sin that hasn't been my sin to struggle with. But I would hate it if that was just yet another sin that I had to deal with every day. And you know, when someone struggles with a sin that you don't struggle with, you know what? You shouldn't judge them. Your heart should break for them. It should go out for them. And you should thank God that they're struggling with something that you're not because you're struggling with plenty that they're not. And so if the world hates you, let it be because of Jesus. Don't let it be because of your sinfulness. In the political sphere, Christians are the worst. In the educational spaces, we're terrible on our moral issues. Yes, we should hold the highest moral standards on sexuality and sanctity of life. But we should do it in a Jesus way. Not in a bully, mean, demeaning way. There's so many Christians talk Something that's so unbiblical about immigration and the people that are wanting to come into our country. What does your Bible say about that? What kind of place should the church be about the poor and the needy and the outcasts and the orphans and the widows? And those who are destitute. 
If the world hates you, let it be because of Jesus, not because of us. Secondly, I like this. Jesus said, guess what? I chose you out of the world, so don't love it. Because I chose you out of your life, out of the world, to not give you your best life now. <laughs> I chose you out of the world so that you wouldn't be of it. John writes in his book in 1 John, Don't love the world or anything is in the world, for all is in the world, lust of flesh, lust of life. Boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world, and the world is passing away, and also it's lust. But he who does the will of God abides forever. He said in 1 John 3.13, Don't be surprised if the world hates you. You're not going down that stream. James, the half-brother of Jesus, said this, you adulteresses, don't you know that friendship with the world is hostility to God and anybody that makes himself a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God? What kind of choices are you making because of the kingdom of God? It's amazing to me. Even the number of pastors who feel God calling them to the job that pays the most money and the church that is the biggest and the easiest path. Yes, the Holy Spirit is to be your comforter, but not like something you find on a hotel bed. What I've discovered in my life is Jesus almost always calls me not to the comfortable path, but to the tough one. That's why he says you have to have grit. That's why you have to persevere. It will not be fun in this life, most likely. But guess what? You have eternity. Yes. Forever. Yes. Peter even called us aliens and strangers. It's kind of cool to think about yourself that way, isn't it? People call me strange all the time. I think, yeah. Yeah, I am. But it's hard to be hated, isn't it? Especially by people who you're trying to love. Hard to be rejected, isn't it? Hard to be persecuted, made fun of, even if they're wrong. There's so much in us that wants to be accepted. And that's why Jesus is saying this, love one another. The third thing that I want to remind you of this morning is that we need to be prepared for persecution because judgment is coming. Remember verse 20 says, remember the word I spoke to you, a servant is not above his master. This is from chapter 13. In chapter 13, Jesus is saying, a servant is not above his master, but a servant should be doing what his master do, and you'll be blessed if you do them. And remember what he was doing in, in chapter 13? He was washing the disciples' feet, and he said, if I am your Lord and master, this is the example I am setting for you. Go and do likewise. And isn't it crazy? Stay with me just for a second. This is the last point. Isn't it crazy that Jesus ate dinner with dirty feet? He went around to all his disciples. He got to Peter. Peter said, you're not touching my nasty feet, Lord. And Jesus said, if I'm not washing your feet, I have no part of you. You guys got this sermon already, right? Yeah. And then Peter said, well, give me a bath. And Jesus said, I'm not that weird. You don't need a bath. <laughs> you might need a bath. You're just getting your feet washed right now, right? I would have popped him a lot, right? But then he says, I'm setting you an example 
that you could follow the example in every single one of them. Judas left to betray him. And all the rest of them sat around staring at Jesus' dirty feet. Not one of them got up and washed his feet. What Jesus is saying is every game is an away game. You know, we went to a hockey game last night. This is fun. We sat on the glass. And uh, uh, thank you, Mercy Hill Church, for those tickets. Uh, so if you want to know what's happened to your budget, Ernie's spending on my hockey tickets. <laughs> not true, not true. But you know, last night I didn't know if I won or lost, right? Because Cincinnati was playing Iowa. And so there's no way I lose at that game, right? But I remember the last second, it was overtime victory and the one you have a quirky hockey and he, or goalie, and he lifted up his pad and it just went right between his legs. And Iowa won, you know, and I, on, my, on the inside, I was going, yes, I think I'm an Iowa guy, right? But everybody else in the place was horrified. And uh, at this point, I'm going to keep my Iowa mouth shut because nobody wants to be the way team. Nobody wants to be the lamb among wolves. We all like home field advantage. We all love to be loved. We all love to be cheered for. We all like to be blessed. And what the church is about is a whole bunch of sheep that get together, buying away, loving each other away, because we're going to go out into a wolf-filled world that's scary. And then Jesus is going to talk about next week the Holy Spirit who will be your counselor and your helper and your comforter. And we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. So as the world hates us, we can love each other. And as the world hates us, we can go from this place being light and salt, proclaiming the name of Jesus. Will you pray with me? Lord, thank you that your word is as true today and will be as true 2,000 years from today if you choose to tarry as it was 2,000 years ago when it was written. And we do want to pray, God, for the Christians who are under tremendous persecution today because of you. Protect them. Guard them. Guide them. Help them to know that even if they lose their life today, they have eternity as a witness to you. And Lord, would you help us today to not be so obtuse to what you came to do that all of our prayers and all of our attention is on trying to get you to make our worldly life better when you say you absolutely are not for that. You want us to live for your kingdom. To do a hard thing. To do an eternal thing. And would you enable us to love each other, to wash each other's feet, to have a community in the midst of hostility that is so attractive and so life-giving and so filling that we can gather together to love each other so that we can go into a wolf-filled world and persevere.
We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.